Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, a podcast mini-series that seeks to empower and support women who are on the journey of growing and scaling their business. We'll speak with inspiring women about their stories and get practical advice from entrepreneurs who've been there before. This podcast has been created in partnership with Albright. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eugenia Prattley. And I'm one of the key members of the HSBC Raw team from HSBC. And today I'm absolutely delighted and thrilled personally as a fan of her podcast, but also of her entrepreneurial story to be joined here today by Michelle Grant, the founder of Lively. Michelle, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, everyone. So how do you go from being the founder who wears all the hats, everything from marketing to HR to supply chain to being the CEO? and building that team around you to help you get there, help you reach new heights that you couldn't possibly get there by yourself. And your story is really interesting because you, like so many of the entrepreneurs around the world, is you start off in the corporate side. You start up having a job in the industry and then obviously something happened, spark happened, where you said, I can't ignore this idea in my head. I've got to do something about it. So Michelle, do you mind just taking us back to the beginning and where did Lively come from? How did this start for you? Yeah, I am the daughter of two Indian immigrant parents here in the United States. And so in my household, it was doctor, lawyer, investment banker. Those were the three paths that I saw. And as I graduated from college and really started to immerse myself in these industries that were amazing, but very intangible, I quickly realized like, this is not where I'm going to live my best life. And so I found my way into fashion. I worked for big corporations like Federated, which owns Macy's and Bloomingdale's, VF Corporation, and then finally Victoria's Secret. Victoria's Secret, as we know, worldwide, ran 30 to 40% market share when I was there, over $13 billion in the United States alone, and double-digit operating income. So it was the mecca of brand and profit and just everything about anyone that loves fashion and brand storytelling. But after being there for almost five years, I saw three things that really kind of sparked my interest in moving forward. Number one was the brand itself. I no longer resonated with it. I was really tired of trying to be a supermodel. Two, I saw my leaders and my female mentors, and they were amazing at work, but their personal lives were not equally as balanced. So whether it was their marriage or their children, it always came second. And for me, I'm like, I don't want... And then third, social media. I saw finally for the first time women that looked like me on these images, Instagram being the biggest billboard today. And I kind of said, why isn't there a brand that does this, does what social media is doing for other women of different ethnicities, body types, et cetera. So none of it was supposed to work, to be honest. Like I thought I would leave and start something for two to three years because statistically they implode within five. But Lively came about from those three feelings. And the idea essentially was very simple. What is a Victoria's Secret business model from the back? And what is the new front facing story that I want to tell in the window? And that was not uh, angel fantasy push-up, it was passion, purpose, and confidence. 
And where is the product that delivers that? Statistically, 60% of women were wearing sports bras and not working out. And so I saw this opportunity to create a juxtaposition between functional lingerie, the lingerie we've grown up knowing and don't really love, and mixing it with athleisure. And that's what we call lingerie today. And thank you for that, because you are so right as somebody who has often felt that the media and what I was seeing doesn't also represent me. Like I can completely connect to that vision that's out there. I think it's so remarkable now that we're in this moment of real change. And I feel like it's long lasting change in the way that we are seeing brands, the way that brands are seeing us as consumers. It's a really phenomenal way to sort of back yourself. When you started this, because it is such a different concept, right? And you are talking about going up against your old employer who has 35 to 40% market share. Right. Like really, truly a David and Goliath sort of story here. How did that, how did you sort of go, okay, I've got what it takes and I I can pull this all together. There's this terrible phrase, it's such a cliche, but they say that business is a team building sport. Yeah. How did you start to sort of make that happen for yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is, you know, people think I just left Victoria's Secret and started Lively. I didn't actually. I left and worked for a startup for three years because I had always been coddled by corporate America. I didn't actually sleep all across the business. And so I went and worked for a menswear content company called Thrillist and just saw what it was like to build an organization from the ground up. When I was ready, three years later, then I decided, okay, this is the type of business that I want to create. One that is funded, one that has supply chain, because it's a very different category to create. And honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. And I think that ignorance and that utopian mindset are the things that made me successful earlier. You know, I quit my job on a Friday and I went to work on Monday for a company that had one employee. It was me. So I never changed my schedule or my dynamic. I just went to work for brand X. And that first week I remember sitting down and I often tell people the story. I got a notebook and I was like, okay, I'm starting a company. So I started by just making a list of everything I didn't know how to do. And I just started oh my gosh. crazy. So I was like fulfillment, digital marketing, like didn't know how to create a website, all of these things. And all I did was network. And that's why I'm so passionate about doing events like this. It's other people that really lifted me up and gave me the confidence mm-hmm. literally just take one step every day. You don't know what you're going to do on Monday. Let's just get through Tuesday. That is so intuitive. I cannot imagine writing down a list of all the things I don't know. And at the end of that day, being like, yeah, all right, we're going to do this. Yeah. What I think is super remarkable about Lively, so you got started, you obviously really worked that network. You really plowed and plowed away. The thing that I think when I was looking through in researching about you and your company was that within three years, you had people come knocking on your door saying, we want to buy you. Is that true? And how did this happen? Like what a remarkable trajectory. And can you sort of take us through that that sort of moment of change in a lively story? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, three years in, we had just opened our full first brick and mortar store that would be there, you know, long-term still there today. and a banker walked into our office and was like, Hey, someone wants to buy you. And I was like, we're not for sale. I'm like, I don't know. We're just getting started. We're three years in. And I said, but out of curiosity, who is it? And she's like, well, let's just sit down and have a conversation. And it ended up being Walkable America, the company that owns us today. And we were very you know, practical about it. I was like, look, I'm not ready to sell, but I'd love to get to know them. So let's have 
a meeting where we don't talk about numbers at all. And we just talk about each other and our values and our ethics and like why we exist today. And I have to say, when I went to that first meeting with them, I was standing outside the building where the meeting was. And it was the same building where I met with my first investor four years ago prior. Ooh, and, oh, that's goosebumps stuff. It was just a sign. I was like, what? Wait, hold on. This is where we are. I'm like, this is where this started. And so that went from let's get to know each other to, well, what would it take to entertain a merger or an acquisition? And I was very honest. I was like, this is what it would take. And this is what I think it, we deserve. And they were like, okay. And then we went to an LOI, which I didn't even know what a letter of intent was. And I didn't have a banker, right? Because I also didn't want to shop the deal or anything like that. I just was like, these are wonderful people. Let's look at this process. And that's actually what we did is I just went step by step, like started to understand what diligence looked like. Diligence mm. me and a chief operating officer on my team, who was a VP of finance at the time, like we, we did diligence, which is very, I mean, a data room, like who knows how to create a data room. And then we got a spa agreement, a stock purchase agreement, 99 pages. I went through it in two weeks with my lawyer. But prior to that, I think you have to really soul search and say, like, why did you create this business? Where do you want it to be afterwards? What's the objective for your family, for you as a founder and for your team looking forward? And what I really saw was this is an opportunity for Lively to live well past me. Like now we have the foundation to go decades after, you know, I'm here running it. This is a legacy now. Yeah. I really was so struck when I first heard the story of the, this anonymous banker coming in to, to knock on your door and clearly had missed the, the bricks and mortar store down the road where they should have been buying things. So your first comment isn't how much, who is it, why, but it was, I want to get to know these people. So clearly from the outset, when you first said why you wanted to create Lively, it was about that purpose. It was about confidence. It was about intention. Right. This has obviously been quite a strong thread for you, if not the sort of, you know, I don't really like the term, but it's about that North Star, that thing that keeps you steady. When you started at the beginning and you were very early days, you had this fantastic guerrilla marketing campaign. Then I guess, you know, your success sort of snowballed and snowballed. And then you do start stepping back and having to hire all these people in. Can you sort of talk me through how you attracted the right talent? How did you know how to hire for that, for those roles at that stage of your growth? Mm -hmm. And can I be as so blunt as to also ask, did you have any mistakes along the way? Team is critical. It's all about who you're surrounding yourself with. And so from day one, I always said Lively is not about me. It's about this team that we're building internally and externally. And so social media and building a community outside of Lively was critical, in my opinion, for a brand and a company to live and evolve. Because that's what I saw. Brands were not evolving. They would launch and they would be amazing. And then they would fall stale. And so we spent a lot of time building a team externally, which is now 165,000 brand ambassadors today, and a team internally, which is not overly layered. It's 60 people at Lively for how big the business is with multiple channels. And so when I describe team now, looking back, it was three phases in how Lively really grew. Phase one is jack of all trades. You want people that believe in your mission. Forget their experience. They have to be as passionate about what you're building as you are. They have to be as naive. They have to be as excited. And so 
my process for phase one was two degrees of separation. My thesis was if I find people that are connected to family and friends, our view of the world and the amount of fun we're going to have and the creativity is probably aligned. And so that's what I did. I didn't want to hire friends or family, but I wanted to hire people that were closer to my perspective of life. And so these people were 10 hats. My first director of marketing did PR, social media, email, packaging, like events, ambassador program. I can tell you 10 roles that she held. My creative director to this day, who I met seven years ago, does all categories of design and photo shoots and lookbooks, all of it. And so phase one has to be those like doers. They love to solve problems. They don't look at things as obstacles. They love to look at it as puzzles. So that's phase one. Phase two is now your brand and your business have caught wind. You have to now stabilize the house. Before you just had this tent blowing in the wind. Now you have to build the foundation. And so now you need that hybrid of experience meets utopian vision. And so you go from someone that wants 10 roles to three roles, but it's experienced in something that you're saying, okay, they're much smarter than me on this. And that should be the place that you're most vulnerable, in my opinion. So for me, it was paid marketing. I didn't know how to run Facebook or Instagram or Google, but I knew it was important. So that was my next big hire was a paid marketing growth hacker. And then phase three is like, okay, now this is a corporation, right? It has multiple channels, Target, Nordstrom, four stores, multiple categories. We have to bring in the experts. And that's where you want to start building your pyramid of a C-suite. And honestly, that's where I made a lot of mistakes. Like I really loved the early days. I didn't hire fast enough that top layer. I had a lot of green people, excited people, but I didn't have the experts in that middle to top to help us move forward. And so it was really bumpy as we cross eight figures, right? It gets really much more complicated and intricate and you want those people around you. So here is something that I found fascinating because if you try to hold it all then you know you're gonna you're not gonna grow you just you're gonna stay stagnant that's right it was different perspectives you know I think I think one of the things about Lively that I love is people aren't afraid to go across different swim lanes they're not afraid to share like hey I'm the head of tech but I see this opportunity in marketing or hey I'm in design but I see this opportunity in planning you know we we're very cross category in our thinking and sharing. And I think that behooves us very well. So now, as you've sort of talked through building up the layers of talent as you were, how did you then maintain your workplace culture? How did you create the right environment as the company starts to grow? Because often, you, you know, it's not as easy to have that much influence, right? When you start to have all these other factors influencing your workplace. Yeah. Can you sort of explain, I guess, a bit more about the lively culture and, and your philosophy on that? Yeah. So our culture is very, I would describe it as fun, engaging, and um, and often like welcome vulnerability. So like my team has seen all sides of me. They've seen me cry. They've seen me excited. They don't really try to create a facade of leadership that I saw growing up in corporate America. I want them to see me and all of us in the same field. So I often describe Lively not as a family, but as a sports team that loves each other. 
we're not afraid now. And early on, I thought of us as a family. So I was really terrible at firing people and moving people and reprimanding people. But I realized that we're not a family. We're a business that has a nurturing environment. And so a sports team is very similar to that. Players love each other. They love their coach. They look to the coach for guidance. But the best teams that I see out there are moving people around the field. And that is what we do. We, I would say, we hold our values very tight. And so I think a great example is every Monday, and my team still laughs that we do this. We've been doing it for seven years. When we were three people is when we started. Every Monday, we would start at in the morning and we would have business reviews, of course, right? Most companies do. But before we have a business review, we share lively moments. And everyone goes around and shares what is that one moment of the weekend or the week prior that gave you goosebumps, that reminded you of like what life is truly about. Was it, you know, an art you discovered? Was it something your child did? Was it something new that you experienced? What was it that you were like, oh, now this is living. And we do that because one, it reminds us why our brand exists, but two, it gets, you start to understand people, right? You understand this person versus this person and it creates connectivity. And at the end of the day, the best cultures are one that put humans first. I always say, when you look at a balance sheet, what are your greatest assets? It's the humans. <laughs> Everyone's always like inventory, cash, you know, like it's the humans. Absolutely. I think that is really cool. I love that because it you've connected it so neatly to your brand's purpose, your brand's vision, to the workplace culture, and that sort of human connection to each other only makes you stronger as a team. But I think it also helps you learn and grow because you start seeing things from people's perspective. You can get so silent into your own way of thinking, your own judgment, and that can really limit you in some ways if you don't have that constant exposure to somebody else's viewpoint. Right. And we often, you know, I've been saying this a lot to my team recently, is friction is good. If you are agreeing on everything, we are not moving forward. We should have moments where we have different perspectives and we are talking out different views of being on the other side of the net. Because if we're not having debates and dialogue, we're probably being very sweet and kind to one another, but we're not actually unveiling what could yeah. be, right? And so if you don't feel a little level of friction or uncomfortableness, then you're probably just standing pretty, probably not actually pushing yourself and your brand and your organization forward. Yeah, that's a really good perspective. So if I can fast forward a little to now where Colin can come in, you said, thank you very much. This sounds like a great partnership. Let's do it. We're all in. You then take on a different role now where you're no longer the owner of the company, as it were. You have a whole new organization that you need to integrate lively into. Can you sort of talk through that leadership transition? And I guess from you personally, how did you handle that? I guess from more of a mindset perspective too. Yeah, look, it, it's a very difficult one. I think from the outside looking in, it's very, you know, glossy and pretty. Like, oh, you have this big acquisition, a huge sale. You know, very fortunate and grateful for all of that. But as a founder, it's very emotional. It's like your three-year-old child is now going to college or they that decides what they wear, what they do and how they perform. Right? So it was a very difficult you know, time for me to really wrap my head around it. And so I'm very thankful that I got to stay and run the company because I was not ready 
to leave lively or see my life without it. There was so much that I wanted to see, you know, happen with the team and with the brand and so forth. But my perspective of it was very simple in that I constantly said to Wachholz, you bought us because we're different, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what we talked about was our cultures in theory are very aligned in what we want to do for the world, but how we do it is very different. And so we spent a lot of time saying, where are we going to integrate first and what are we going to leave separate? And so back-end benefit, finance, accounting, et cetera, all integrated right out the gate. Marketing, team culture, et cetera, we kept separate. And we did that for the past three years. We've been now starting to integrate more and more. But I think as a leader, for me, that was my comfort, was knowing like the places that were key or lively to exist independently was creative marketing, team culture, et cetera. And I think for anyone that goes through an acquisition, again, the friction, those conversations, you can't be afraid to say like, oh, I would love to consider aligning on that practice and process, but actually that would go against our culture. And so maybe that doesn't make sense right now. And there was moments where, you know, I would say something like that and they would like disagree. I'd be like, fair. And then there would be other moments where they'd be like, actually, we agree. And we're going to do the same thing as you. And I'm like, same. And so it's a re- it's like a marriage, right? Like you don't agree on anything, but at the end of the day, you align on what's best for the overall household. That's a very good analogy. Is there anything you know now that you wish you knew that? Oh, so many things. The first thing I would say is the team component. It's the hardest part of being an entrepreneur, in my opinion, is, you know, figuring out how to all of a sudden become a leader over an entire organization, maintain culture while you were essentially building a plane in the air (laughs) and remembering the people are the most important part of the matrix, in my opinion. And then I would say the second thing is, you don't have to have all the answers. You're actually not supposed to. You're supposed to figure it out along the way and not be at all intimidated by the fact that you don't have the answers as to what's next. The whole process, the journey is enjoying figuring it out. I mean, it's a terrifying idea of building a plane as you fly it, but it does completely make sense. What is the biggest lesson that you've learned? I think the greatest lesson that I've learned is really thinking about consistency. You know, when you're building brand, often I think as humans, we get bored with what we're saying, what we're doing, what we're showing. But as a brand, you have to consistently share and show a very similar thing. You know, when I worked for Les Wexner at Victoria's Secret, he would always say, building a brand is like creating a movie and you have to have your plot your theme and you know the models are the actors and the copies are script and where you're shooting is your set what movie do you want to tell what story do you have and what do you want to say ours is passion purpose and confidence and for seven years we've been saying passion purpose confidence and i think as a leader you have to realize how can you be timely and evolve as an organization but timeless and so the brands that i've seen hermes ralph lauren you name it they're both timely and timeless. And that's a that is a very interesting because they, they when you think about the two of them, you sort of timely versus timeless, they're juxtapositions, right? Like that is a that takes a very skillful marketer to be able to produce the product on those, I guess, making that scale very even. That's right. 
Brilliant. So a huge thank you from us, Michelle, for joining us today. We've absolutely loved talking to you. And for those who haven't yet, I highly recommend going on and listening to Michelle's podcast, No Makeup Needed. It is full of incredible women on there. Everyone from Bobby Brown, Holly Thagard from Supergroup. So go ahead and, and give that a listen as well. Thank you. You've been listening to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, HSBC's podcast mini-series dedicated to supporting women on the path of growing and scaling their own businesses. To access more resources for female entrepreneurs, please refer to the description of this podcast. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.